Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hi, everyone. Leonard Kim here. And what we're going to be discussing today is when opportunity makes your career. Today, we have Dr. Shara Downing on the line with us today. She has over 30 years of experience in the higher education field, including leading online learning and technology initiatives for like public, private, and profit uh, higher education institutions. Now, what really happened for her is she used to like be focused on those brick and mortar locations until this new tool uh, called, I think it's called like the internet or something that came about and it kind of changed everything. And within that, that's kind of where her uh, opportunity uh, <coughs> opportunity grew for uh, uh, Dr. Cher. Uh, so uh, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself? So great. Thanks, Leonard. And uh, first off, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, as you said, I've been doing this for quite a while. Uh, came right out of college and started in the higher ed track um, and started working with students and with colleges in the brick-and-mortar setting. Um, and in about 1995, the Internet really started to take off, and institutions across the nation, uh, including the one that I was at, started saying, hey, we really need to start doing something online. We don't know what that is, but... You know, it's the latest trend. Everyone's doing it, so we should get on board. Uh, so I kind of fell into a really hard and fast curve of learning all about the technology and new software, um, but also started recognizing that just because we had new tools didn't mean it was um, really inviting to people, that we had to start to look at the human component of it as well and how people adapted and learned uh, where they lo- lived and uh, how they dealt with things. So um, have spent a lot of years working at various institutions and really continuing to kind of hone this craft uh, as the industry has been growing and am now getting to a point in my career where my next concern, uh, kind of my, my uh, big epiphany that I've had in the last few years is what are we doing about the next generation of people coming up in ed tech and how are we preparing them um, for those of us that, that came up through the ranks, uh, but also how do we leave learning in a better format for a world that's constantly evolving and changing. So um, it, it's an exciting and continuous adventure every day, uh, and I love being in, in that space, um, but it's definitely been something that I, I've been fortunate to have a lot of good breaks in my career, and I hope I can pass that kind of uh, wisdom on to other people so they can do that as well. Awesome, and I love what you said about the world. It's always constantly changing and evolving. And, I mean, as human beings, like, whenever change comes about, we always have the sense of resistance towards it where uh, we kind of hold ourselves back and we don't really move forward all the way until, like, the herds start moving forward. And we're like, okay, we'll finally move into the tram. But it's this big, huge <laughs> path of resistance. And I bet back in 1995, when you were first doing this thing, there was probably a pretty big um, uh, <clears throat> shift like that, right? How, how did you kind of handle that? It really was. Um, you know, because part of it was our homes and our businesses were not ready for this new and evolving uh, you know, tool that was out there. Um, there was a sudden ability to connect worldwide 
but we had still a large percentage of people on a dial-up system at home. So, um, you know, for those listening that are old enough to remember, you would dial through your telephone and you'd hear this series of beeps and bonks and honks and it would run and run. And I mean, you could practically go make a sandwich and come back before you'd get connected to the internet. Uh, and then you just spent most of your time hoping that you didn't lose the connection while you were working through it. So, uh, you know, imagine trying to work on something that slow and get people to buy into using something new. It really was, uh, it was a challenge. Oh, yeah, especially without the you've got mail at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I love to watch that movie, uh, You've Got Mail, because it, it's just reminding me of that used to be high tech. That was, you know, top rate. If you had that, if you had your own computer at home, it was just so exciting. And now it's just so mainstream, and that would seem so archaic, and we would never have the patience to deal with that now. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy how much technology has just evolved over the years. Like, no one can really even fathom hopping onto a dial-up modem anymore, where, I mean, back when the internet first started, it was like 14.4K, then 20.8, 56K, then the cable modem came out, everyone's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, the devices have changed. So we went from having pure desktop to... We had laptops, but, you know, they were four or five pounds. You didn't actually want to carry them around anywhere. Oh, yeah. um, so now we have things that, you know, fit in our pocket. Um, and, and, but at the same time, we got a phone in our pocket, but we didn't have all of the access that we did on a computer. Now we're getting to the point where we can be on a phone and we can do just about, you know, 95% of what we do on a desktop right off of a phone. And so suddenly... That increases the mobility to do things. Um, that increases the windows of time you have to do things. And so now you want your knowledge and your experience delivered to you in a different way than it used to be when you had to sit somewhere and you had to plan to learn. Yeah, definitely. Like uh, the learning environments changed a lot where people were focused on being in the classroom to being on projectors to being on a big screen uh computer and maybe a lab or a home and now everyone's like oh look i have this phone in my pocket how am i going to learn off this and i mean me personally watching like a presentation off my phone or trying to like integrate into like a quiz or something like that on my phone it's kind of difficult yes yeah you know so it's, it's still not all there but it's getting yeah. closer every day yeah, it is. And it's kind of interesting seeing where this shift is moving towards and seeing what uh, the interesting developments in ed tech are going to be. And you've had a lot of experience in ed tech. Like, what kind of uh, things have you seen shift and change throughout the course of time? Um, you know, we used to build things in, um, we've always affectionately called them chunks, but we would build things in a module or we would build things in a, a static size that would be mirrored so that you could plan on the amount of time it took for you to complete something. Um, we did this for online learning in the academic setting. Uh, we did this when you were trying to learn a program at home. We even did this on your TV. We would uh, sort out what you wanted to learn in order to make the mechanics work. And now what we realize is you as a learner, regardless of what you're doing, you want to be able to search for the one step that you need to make something viable. 
And yeah. so you notice now uh, when you go into your TV mechanism, your cable mechanism, uh, if you take an online course, whether it's for credit or non-credit, um, even your online banking, it, it doesn't land you in the same space that it used to. Now what comes up is almost um, a question-type format of what is it that you want to do? You know, what do you want to accomplish? And then we will get you to that point. And so our learners have become uh, evolved and smarter in, in what they want to do and how they want to receive information and how they want to push information out. And so the ed tech space is so fascinating because you have to have a knowledge of technology, but you also have to have a foundational knowledge of how people learn, and you have to have a knowledge of how to mirror those two things together. Mm. And that makes it um, a very unique space that is constantly evolving and changing. And so you have to keep your skill set up on both of those sides in order to keep progression with everything that's going on from banking to online shopping to uh, academic preparation. Interesting. A good thing that you point out, pointed out is you have to stay on top of like how people learn. And I think that, uh, I mean, there's like a few different primary learning styles. Is there like one that works across the board or do you have to work with multiple different ones or how does that kind of work? Um, it really doesn't. Uh, obviously, visual learners have an advantage um, that, you know, for I'm a visual learner. And so growing up, Traditional school was, was a challenge for me because everyone wanted me to learn in a way that wasn't natural for me. And so when uh, things started de- you know, coming available on the Internet, my world just burst open um, because suddenly I was learning in a format that just made sense in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so visual learners have an advantage, but we're taught when we become uh, curriculum and instructional designers that we have to respect all the learners out there. And so we have to design in ways that offer something for everybody. So a visual uh, video, for example, may also have a transcript with it that you can download and read. Um, It may have uh, timing so that it pauses for reflection because some people need more time to absorb uh, information than others. Uh, there may be different ways that you can assess how someone is taking in that knowledge and you can adjust the development accordingly. Um, we see this right now when you look at different versions coming out from online shopping and online banking. Um, they collect a lot of habitual data when you go in on your phone or on your computer and are doing things, and that starts to key them in on what is it that their customer likes. What are they ignoring or they're, they're dropping out of and not completing? Um, one of the best examples was when we started shopping online and the shopping cart came out. People got very frustrated after Amazon came into the picture because Amazon very cleanly let you put everything in the shopping cart and then proceed to check out and you were done. Other sites, you put things into shopping cart, you could go to the shopping cart and look at them But then if you wanted to go back and look at something, you had to start the process all over again. And after you did that two or three times, you just gave up and you didn't want to shop there anymore. Amazon quickly figured out that shoppers change their minds and they need the fluidity of being able to go back and forth but still maintain those uh, initial purchases until they're ready to close out. Um, That's just one example, but all of our consumer goods that are going online are looking at things like that. What are the patterns that drive us 
and, and it's all in how we learn to use a system and what we like and don't like about it. Yeah, definitely. Systems are kind of interesting because they kind of work to adapt to grow towards uh, who you are and everything. And Amazon did a great job back then with most of They're still doing a great job right now with suggesting what people want to buy now based off their prior purchases and using all that data combined together. Um, yeah, so it in regards definitely to makes like, a difference. Yeah, definitely. So in regards to like um, the field of education, you're kind of covering the video aspect, you have the transcript, you have pauses and everything. Like, how much more effective do you think this online, online learning environment is than, like, let's say, a regular classroom? So it's not a direct um, comparison. It's a little more apples to oranges. But um, the advantage of online, and the one example that I always use is, um, if you've been in college and you've been in a large lecture hall, you know, you'll have anywhere from 100 to 400 people, depending upon the size of the room. And so what happens is the A students sit in the front row, answer all the questions. Uh, the B students fill up the next 10 to 15 rows back. And the people that just want to get by and don't want to be called on and don't want to participate sit at the back of the room. And because the room is large enough, as a faculty member, they can't always get to those people and draw them into the conversation. When you take an online course, you can draw every single person into the conversation just by how you make assignments and how you require uh, participation into discussion. And so there's no place to hide in an online course. Um, that alone gives a faculty member the power to press that knowledge out further and as a student gives you the opportunity to have really a one-on-one -on -one relationship with that faculty member in that knowledge base in addition to the peer-to-peer -peer learning. So that's a little different than what we've had in large classes. We've gotten that sometimes in smaller classrooms, but it hasn't always been as easily produced in large classrooms. Um, the downside of online in comparison to classroom is online requires a level of discipline as an individual. So you know you have assignments due at certain dates, and you have to back out from that due date the amount of work it's going to take, the amount of time it's going to take you. Um, for procrastinators, it's a hard habit to get into. Um, they know when they have to go to class on Tuesday night and they physically have to be there that they're going to have to spend the weekend writing their paper before Tuesday night. Uh, when it's online, it's a little easier to ignore, and then they get themselves in a bind because they get behind. So um, it's... Both environments are good learning environments, but again, they cater to different ways that people learn, and it's a different amount of accessibility and uh, knowledge base that you can get to depending upon the type of student that you are. Uh, personally, I think online allows for a little more level playing field for every student, and I think because the majority of students aren't that A-list sitting in the front row, I think we reach a greater audience. Huh. That's pretty interesting how you're saying that it kind of levels the playing field. It makes people participate. And to be successful in an online program, you kind of need to have that self-discipline. Uh, an interesting yeah. thing that I really think about is, like, let's say you're attending, like, a community college and you're taking online classes there. Then you want to go transfer to, like, maybe a big private university or something. A lot of these institutions, they're like, oh, your online classes, they don't transfer. Um, but if you're 
explaining it kind of the way you did, you kind of get more benefit out of the online classes. Why do you think some of these institutions aren't accepting like these online classes as a legitimate curriculum for transferring over credits? So there's a couple reasons for that. One is purely policy, which is the type of accreditation that your institution has um, it, this is kind of like thinking, you know, MasterCard goes with MasterCard and Visa goes with Visa and they don't cross over. Um, so the type of accreditation you have with an institution transfers to certain other types of accreditations. Uh, some schools may not even have a recognized accreditation and therefore those credits don't transfer. So that's always the first layer of it. Um, the second layer of it, though, can be an institution can look at, at their curriculum look at what you're trying to transfer in, and they may feel that you didn't cover the material that they require. So, for example, if a class has to cover 10 chapters with certain content and the class you took at the community college online covered six chapters, they may not feel that that's an equivalency. Uh, in other words, you're not going to be prepared to go into the next course because you're missing four chapters, in theory, on your transcript. Uh, then the next sub-level of that is well, we're not sure you could have learned it as well online as you do on ground. And so oftentimes uh, what I recommend to students is doing your research with the school you're looking to transfer to, but following up with anything that doesn't transfer in, um, you know, pulling your syllabus, pulling your projects, uh, getting to them the types of things that you did, the type of work that you went through. And I have seen schools then uh, go ahead and re-review classes and provide credit for it because they just, at the surface level, didn't recognize the depth of what a student had done in the course. So I think, you know, again, it's just, it's a learning curve and it's getting better all the time between schools. And as they write more articulation agreements to have that, uh, you know, acceptance from school to school, it always, uh, you know, again, levels out what people can do, but it's still, for some, particularly the smaller uh, schools that maybe have specialty programs, it still worries them that, that uh, it's meeting the needs. And so it's something that we constantly evolve with. Um, as ed tech specialists, we try to work with that information and make sure that courses are robust enough that someone can look at it and say, hey, yeah, they had a really good course deep level of learning, uh, good foundational knowledge, they're ready to go into our school. Huh, that's definitely interesting, and I do appreciate all that information to help clarify why some things may not work, especially in that type of environment. We're about to hop off to a commercial break. Where can people find you online? Um, I actually uh, do not have a website up yet. It's in the process of, of getting to go up, but uh, if they look on your site, um, there's a connector there. Okay, perfect. And you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter, and we'll, see, we'll be back after this commercial break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. 
It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hi, Leonard Kim back here with Cher Downing. If you tune into the beginning of the show, you really were able to see the progression of ed tech, especially with all the technological advancements that came from the internet back in 1995 when it started to become mainstream. From moving, from figuring out how to get the computers into people's homes, how to create an educational system where people could learn from, how to incorporate all these different learning styles into the course material, the different types of uh, skills and traits that you could really pick up from an online course, and what kind of discipline you really need for that as opposed to something that's uh, physical and in person. And what we're really going to be covering in this segment right here is a little bit about like how to really go out there and pursue a career in ed tech. I mean, it doesn't really have to necessarily be ed tech. The career advice kind of can work for anyone. But... Specifically for ed tech, like what do you really need to do to really go out there and make this type of career work for you? Um, it's really important, like I said, that you have a, a understanding of the education side, so the foundational uh, academic piece, and then you need to have a skill set in technology. Um, you know, there are various levels of skill set for technology. It's not that you necessarily need to be able to, you know, build a computer. Uh, it's not that you need to necessarily know the hardware portion of it, but you need to be able to understand the types of softwares that are being used, the new tools that are coming out from a lot of the ed tech startups, uh, and help match those up with things that are going on in your online classes or in your online training or even in your online, um, uh, you know, storefronts. Uh, websites. Uh, and so a good example of that is, uh, you know, when people want to suddenly take a survey, um, what are the tools out there that you can use for that? Well, there's a lot of different tools. And so when you pick one, you have to be able to help whoever you're working with get through that tool and understand it and understand the impact. Um, you may have to do some research for them and, and present them with, here are the top tools available to do this. Um, and here's why I recommend one over the other. So there's definitely a, a knowledge set in terms of your, your technology side. Um, and then the third piece is, is how do you bring those together? So um, one of the things that is always difficult is when you get trained in academics uh, enough and you get trained in technology enough, you tend to speak a foreign language to uh, someone who's not involved in either of those sectors. So you have to be able to communicate and start to get that information through to them in a way that makes sense. And so um, 
I always use one in when I, I train people, which is uh, think about when you're baking a cake. And I use that because there's probably not very many people in the world that haven't tried to bake a cake. So, you know, if I tell you to go through the steps, but I change the order of the steps, you immediately recognize, well, that's not going to work. The cake's not going to come out right. So if I tell you to, yeah. you know, put the, the cake mix in the bowl and put the bowl in the oven and turn the oven on and cook it, you immediately recognize because it's something that's very common to everyone. Um, yeah. If I tried to explain that same type of step procedure to you using software or academic terminology, you'd be so focused on the terminology you would miss the steps of how to actually produce something. So EdTech people really need to have that three core area of technology, academic knowledge, and then being able to verbalize those two worlds into content that is readily and easily usable for anyone that's, that's needing assistance in working through the process. So looking at all of these things that you really need, a background in technology, a background in academics, and the ability to communicate, it sounds like it's a pretty tough career to really get into. I mean, if you go down the academic path, you usually have to go and get a PhD or um, minimum like a master's in your field, um, but probably a PhD. Then on the technology side, you have to um, really learn technology, and if you're I'm not sure if you could actually learn both in school at the same time or else you're in school for a really, really, really long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's, what's actually easier to do is uh, take advantage of any opportunities that come along your way. And this is something that um, recently I have started a group of uh, mentors and mentees for this purpose, um, I'm really feeling a, a sense and a need to give back to the community of EdTech and to help those that are coming up in their careers or maybe have stalled a little bit in their careers because this is still a, a fairly new field in terms of being identified and acknowledged. Um, most yeah. of us came up through it as everything else was growing and exploding, and we just kind of fell into it. Some people, right place, right time. Some people forced into it because they were there and, and it was happening. Um, and so now it's kind of a time where we can regroup and really start to create an even more powerful industry. And at the same time, we have all of these people that are wanting to do ed tech startups who need some of this kind of support and, as you say, don't have the time to go to school and do all of these things long term. Um, so what I recommend to, to students that I work with, graduate students, um, people that are interested in the field is, uh, you know, oftentimes when you work in a job, someone will walk into the office and say to you, you know, hey, Leonard, I've got this idea, but I don't know if it will work. What do you think? Um, and maybe your, it'll work. <laughs> you know, typical response may be, sure, sounds good, or, eh, maybe, you know, I'll think about it. Um, yeah. that's, a, that's an opportunity. You know, that's an opportunity for you to step forward and say, let's try to figure this out. Hmm. Um, you know, so, so think about it. If, if somebody came into you and said, hey, Leonard, you know, I think we want to take your radio show and I think we want to figure out how to animate it and put it online so people can watch it in an animated format, what do you think about that? And what would your Go response be? Go for it. Have fun. 
Show it to me when you're done. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So now you've passed it back to me. You've said, okay, yeah, I I love it. It's a great idea, but but you just go do it. I don't don't want to deal with it. So that's fine because you're not wanting to get in the ed tech field. But if you were someone wanting to get into the ed tech field, that's a perfect opening for you. That's a perfect opening to say, okay, you know, how are you willing to support me in doing this? And what are my resources? And, you know, what's my timeline? Can I try to do something like this? Um, I'd be like, what do you need? Yeah, uh, you know, opportunity knocks for us every day. But you have to take advantage of it. And ed tech people are typically risk risk takers. You know, we we like that challenge. Um, You throw that gauntlet down and we're like, oh, we can build a better mousetrap. We know we can. And we want to go for it. (laughs) Um, you know, so I tell people, I'm like, think about it. How many times in a week, in a month, in a year, do you sit around a table in a strategy meeting or, you know, you stand in the hallway talking to people and you just nod and go, yeah, that would be good. Or, yeah, we might be able to do that. And then nothing comes of it. And I'm like, those are the opportunities that if they're going to pay for you to get resources, to train, if they really want that to move out and move forward, you're learning from that experience good, bad, and indifferent, you're learning from it. And so a lot of your career gets built by those kinds of projects. Um, You know, the other thing is finding a really good mentor or a couple of mentors, maybe one that specializes in academics and one that specializes in technology. And, you know, have some free time to work with those people. Those people should be challenging you. They should be trying to help you find opportunities, even if they're volunteer opportunities. But again, a lot of your knowledge and experience can come from those outlets and can complement the education that you've already done or that you're currently doing um, or the work that you're already doing in a job. So it's not always that you have to go to school forever. Some people choose to do that, and that's perfectly fine. Um, But what we see is a lot of people are in one path, and then they expand out into the other side. And so you just have to be creative in how you gather and create that knowledge base for yourself and how you gain that experience so that people want to work with you and want to have your help in putting those things forward. So a question, like let's say you had the choice of going to academia or to technology for school, you decided to go the technology route, and now you're... um, now you're trying to learn the academic side of everything and um, the people that you're going to have to work with are people with PhDs, master's degrees, highly educated people. And um, you're starting to communicate with them, but then you, you yourself don't have a PhD as well because you went to that technology side first instead of the academic side. Like, Do you think these type of people aren't getting the same kind of respect that they would if they had a PhD? Are you thinking uh, Big Bang Theory? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, if I was, I wasn't watching that yeah. actual episode. <laughs> but, uh, and, and, you know, I, I always think of, you know, Howard Wolowitz graduating from MIT, but he has uh, a master's. Um, and that is true. Um, you know, a- academia uh, is known for acknowledging the highest level of a degree. And so what you have to do then is you have to make yourself valuable. Uh, in this instance, it's not any different than when you get hired in a company. It, it's, you know, obviously you weren't hired based on credentials because that wasn't what attracted them to hiring you. They brought you in because you have a skill set that they're missing or they're wanting to expand out. And so the respect comes from 
earning it with working with those faculty members and working with those mm-hmm. academic administrators and producing a product and solving a problem that they've had. Um, and what I have seen over the years is you can gain that trust and that respect very, very rapidly because the reality is they honestly don't have any idea how to do what you do. Um, they're very knowledgeable to subject matter, but it's not this particular subject matter. So even though when you come into it, you may not be at their level academically, if you can show them how you can help them and make them a, a better faculty member producing, you know, uh, greater work, really uh, adapting to their audience needs, that makes a huge difference. And I've seen the respect come very quickly and the issue of the academic credential uh, goes away significantly. Huh. So basically, at, at first, it's just going to be a little bit rocky, but then once you get in there, you do the work, you're going to have the ability to impress whoever you're working with really quickly because you have that sub uh, subspecialty skill set that they don't have any idea about. Right. You know, oftentimes when an ed tech specialist gets hired um, or an instructional designer, curriculum developer, they get brought in because there's a project or there's a plan to have a project. And so really, they're brought into an already existing structure, much like when you hire a consultant. Well, when you think about it, consultants usually aren't respected right off the bat either because most people are resentful that someone from the outside has been brought in to tell them how to do something. And so a consultant works very hard to gain that respect, gain that knowledge base, and let those people know that they're there to support them, not to overtake, not to, you know, push them out of a job. They're just been hired for a specific purpose. And so uh, when I talk with folks that are going into these fields, I tell them it's much the same way. They're seeing you as someone from the outside coming in that's going to change how they do things. And so what you have to help them realize is you're there to help them do it in a different way and to ease their burden because what they want to get done, you can do in half the time because you have the knowledge and the skill set. Yeah, that's definitely a great way to really approach things, especially if you want to make your career in ed tech and these are a lot of great tips that really help people out, especially if they want to make that career jump into this field. Um, we're about to hop off to another commercial break. We'll be back shortly. Uh, you can always find me at Mr. Lenny Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. 
My family loves the choices and the taste and Freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Would you like to make more money, help more people, and have more fun? Tune in to Noah St. John's Money Mindset and Marketing Mastery Show because you'll discover the money, mindset, and marketing skills that will help you create the abundant lifestyle you desire. As an international keynote speaker, best-selling author, and thought leader, Noah helps business owners increase their income, influence, and impact. So tune in to Noah St. John's Money Mindset and Marketing Mastery Show live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern noon pacific on the voice america influencers channel change starts here change starts now join us the voice america influencers channel this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Welcome back, everyone. Leonard Kim here with Share Downing. And if you've been listening to any portions of this show, you're kind of getting the understanding of how EdTech has evolved from 1995 when the Internet first became mainstream all the way to where it is now. You've kind of learned like the background that you really need to go out there and build a career in ed tech by having the technological background and having the educational background and how to really communicate that together. Uh, what we really want to get into for this particular segment is now chances are if you're in technology, you speak an interesting language. If you speak if you're in the background of academics, Uh, You probably have a pretty high vocabulary and you're using a lot of big words that uh, make over a lot of people's heads. Now, when you (laughs) combine this technological speak with this academic speak, I guess you're really creating a whole new language that um, maybe five people in the world really understand. (laughs) So how do you really go out there and like communicate and tie this all together? Like, do you have to go take courses on communication? Are there like resources out there to really help you communicate better? Because I mean, I've talked to a few people and when I talk to them, like what they're saying is like so far over my head. I just take like two (laughs) steps back and I'm like, okay, I think I got to go now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it, it is it is amazing. Um, and, and what's really amazing is you don't realize it. So, you know, as you come up through academia and you continue working on advanced degrees, you start to use words that you never thought would just come into your everyday terminology. And so it becomes kind of comical almost because, you know, asking someone to go to dinner takes on a whole new meaning. Um, and then when you're on the tech side, uh, you know, you become very fluent in how things work and you start to talk in that same type of language. Uh, and as long as you're among your own kind of people in those groups, you're great. But then when you bring in the third party, which is whether that's a client you're working for or it's a faculty member you've been assigned to, 
then they're like you. They're looking at their watch going, how soon can I leave the room? Because I have no idea what this person's talking about. Um, so, you know, I there's a couple things that I recommend to people. One is um, that they do take a communications course. And it doesn't have to be an academic course. You know, there's a lot of really great ones online. Um, there's a lot of good speaker courses online. Uh, but what I tell them is you need to understand how to put ideas together that you can uh, explain and people can visualize. And so one of the things that, you know, I will talk with folks about is what's a typical day for you in your current work site or, or the project you're working on? And I can tell by the way they explain their day how deep they are into the language. And that's where then we start to break that apart and say, okay, it, it's, you know, enough to just tell someone that you're working on their computer tomorrow. You don't have to say, you know, I have a ticket to, you know, reestablish and reauthenticate the system on your desktop because that doesn't mean anything to them. You know, what they want to know is you're going to be there at 4 o'clock and they can't use their computer anymore. Um, so it's really kind of comical, you know, because I'll just say to them, I'm like, just tell me about your day. And they'll run through it. And I'm like, okay, so here are the pieces where you lost me. Here's where you lost me, not only because I didn't understand as a consumer, but I also lost interest. And that's worse when you lose me because I no longer am interested in listening about it. Um, so oh, yeah. communication is key. And, and I tell them that they need to follow up. So when they explain something, when they talk through something with someone, they need to ask at the end, you know, did that all make sense to you? What else can I, you know, re-explain to you? Uh, anytime that they can take visuals along or that they can sketch out visuals while they're sitting there with them is very, very helpful. Um, you know, to tell someone, well, when we go to your main web page, there's going to be six clicks and then you'll end up at your, uh, you know, info page doesn't make sense to them. But if you show them, then suddenly they understand. So um, I try to get them to, to step out of their shoes and think about the person they're talking with. Uh, I also recommend to them that after they meet with someone, they ask them to fill out a short survey, you know, uh, basically a how did I do survey, but not in a customer service sense, more in a what questions did you have after I left. And that hmm. tells them and helps them improve as well. Yeah, I could definitely see how a survey system would be helpful to figure out how to really improve what you're communicating. Why a communications class is so important to be able to really drive home the point of exactly what you want to communicate and visualizing it for someone. And why um, you really want to ask for feedback along the way to make sure if people are really understanding, especially if you're speaking like this new language that a lot of people don't really understand. Um, so basically, exactly. what, what it kind of is like doing is these courses and everything is trying to help you unlearn what you kind of learn and like get back out of the weeds and go back to regular society. Exactly. Um, so I also do some mentoring with ed tech startups, and that's always a fascinating space because a lot of those people are non-traditionalists and non-conformists in the sense of they maybe didn't go directly to college or they may have went for a while and stepped away um, because they've realized there's a product that they can build or they've come together with someone else and, and you know, come up with a really great idea um, and they now are, you know, getting 
crowdsourcing or doing an angel fund to get off the ground and get going. Uh, and so they have the opposite effect, which is they can speak all about their individual product, but they can't explain the impact their product will have to the world or to the particular uh, service that it conducts. Um, and they can't explain to the people that they need to underwrite and support it um, who is going to help them expand that idea into concept. And so we talk a lot, too, about being under-communicated, which is not being able to, uh, to really articulate what it is that you want to have accomplished and what type of people you're going to have to hire or solicit to volunteer to help you get this project going. And that can be just as detrimental as speaking a foreign language uh, in a particular tech situation. So um, we talk about, you know, what is a better way to cultivate that conversation, even if that's finding someone to do some of that conversation for you. So if your product, um, you know, uh, I just saw one the other day that is for K-12 systems, and it's a portal for parents to go in and see their children's grades and, you know, how their children are doing um, when there's going to be, you know, a soccer game, all those kinds of things in this one instance. Well, if you're the one training the parents, you need to know how to sell that to the parents. But the teachers who understand what it's going to do can't sell it to the parents because they can't really explain it themselves. They just know it's something the school district has put in place. And so... For them, you know, it's easier to have someone come in that can be a middleman and explain to the parents, this is what's going to do and here's the benefits for you, but then can also work with the teachers to say, here's why it's important that you keep all the information current in there. So sometimes you have to be smart and rely on someone, find an ed tech specialist who can speak all the languages, bring them in and rely on them to kind of help you move things forward. Yeah, I can definitely see how uh, different people have to be in different roles. Like if you want to roll out something to a specific community, you have to get buy-in from another community that kind of watches the people using it. And um, like let's say it's a parent-children relationship, the children can see the clear benefit, but explaining that to the parents could probably be pretty difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's um, you know, we've become so advanced in technology and things move so much faster all the time. Um, and as a result of that, one of the issues that we never really kind of thought through and expected was this whole issue of security. So now that we have all of these lockdown mechanisms and people are having new windows pop up and should you click yes or no and this you know certificate isn't secure, do you want to proceed? Uh, people don't know how to deal with that. And people don't know what they should answer, so they quit using a product as a result of it. Um, so that's another area where you have to be able to talk them through and you have to be knowledgeable enough to understand, okay, this is the next step. This is the next level we've reached. And this is where your consumers, your clients, your audience is going to get confused. And you need to get ahead of them and be proactive and say, you have to understand this is why this comes up. And we do this to secure your information, um, you know. Probably the worst and best thing that has happened to us recently is the Facebook issue because it's forced people to think about these things that they've managed to just kind of skim past up until this point. Yeah, it was really interesting when that judge asked Mark Zuckerberg, 
Would you mind sharing what hotel you stayed at last night? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's an interesting question. And he's like, no. <laughs> and, and it makes you, you know, really think about privacy and everything like that, even if, like, that wasn't the intent of what, I mean, even if Mark Zuckerberg didn't really know what he was getting at or how he was playing that into the security role, like, that kind of question kind of makes a lot of sense. Sure, sure. Um, I actually use that, uh, I'm teaching an online class, and I use that as an example, and I said, um, the class I'm teaching is business communications, and I said, so you have to take uh, what this senator did, which was really, really poignant. I said, because he didn't yell and scream, he didn't point at him and say, you know, what a horrible situation this is. I said, he put Mark Zuckerberg in the common consumer's shoes and just made him think about it for a second. And when he responded, and you could tell he was visibly uncomfortable, like, no, I'm not telling you where I stayed last night, because I'm sure he's thinking people will start to stalk me, you know. Um, but I said he was, he was very professional about it and looked at him and said, and there lies the issue of privacy. You know, it, yeah. was, it was a poignant moment to make a, a really important point that was done in a professional manner that was good communication and that the lowest level individual watching that to the highest level individual all understood in that instant what the issue was. Yeah, that was pretty that's really brilliant what on his part. Is. Yeah. So to kind of tie everything together, we talked about jobs, we talked about the advances in technology, we talked about um, knowing technology, communicating it, and knowing the world of academia. And we tied it all in with this example from security and how um, security and privacy and used a great example at the end. Like, to like summarize everything up, like what would you say about the whole summary of where EdTech's going, what's going to happen with it, and everything like that? Um, you know, for me, and I live, eat, and breathe it, so, you know, that's probably a tough question to ask me versus maybe somebody on the sidewalk, but <laughs> I just see it continuing to grow and expand in very different ways. Um, we always think of growth as forward, as, you know, the next widget, the next fabulous thing. I think we've plateaued a little bit in, in technology in how it's gone forward, but instead it's gotten more breath to it. Um, you know, we've taken back the things that we use all the time and we've made them better. And we've created things, again, on the basis of what people have said to us, love this, hate that, wish it did this, wish it didn't do that. Um, and so we're seeing that in every product that we use, everything that we do in our house, um, you know, our home alarms, uh, Alexa, all of these things are tying in together. And again, it all ties back then into... As a consumer, if you're going to buy it, how are you going to learn to use it? And so that then comes back around to how do we build an ed tech specialist that understands how to build that, how to connect with the people that already built the product, and how to get the consumer to understand the use of it, the benefits, and how they can easily train in it and move forward with it. Um, you know, Alexa is wonderful, Siri is wonderful, uh, Google Assistant, all of these are wonderful, but you notice they haven't caught on to the extent that everyone thought they would. And it's because they got put out with uh, a really fun idea in mind, which is, you know, you can ask her to play music, you can ask her to, you know, see what the temperature is. And so people did that for a while and it was fun, but we didn't really teach anybody 
Here's how you can connect it into your house. Here's, you know, things you can learn from it. Here's how to build her knowledge base. And so as a result of that, it's kind of plateaued a little bit. I suspect those types of products, people are back at the drawing board right now, expanding out how we're going to use them even better, and that will start to come out probably around Christmas time, which is always, you know, a big tech time. Um, I think in learning, it's going to be the same thing. Colleges and universities are learning to package differently. Students want experiential experience. Students want on-their-time learning. Students want to be able to kind of stop in and stop out of what they're working on and doing. They're, they're not satisfied with the traditional academic calendar. And so we're going to start to see a shift in an evolution in how higher ed adapts to learners um, for needs of different way of living a lifestyle, flexibility, but even just because as a learner, you have a different sense and style of how you need to intake information and how you're going to move forward. So I think it's an exciting time. I think it's going to continue to be an exciting time. Um, that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about, you know, getting mentors and mentees connected, working with ed tech startups, um, supporting schools that are doing these things, teaching online. Uh, all of this contributes back to the ed tech industry. I think all of us that are in any industry have a responsibility to give back as we get towards the end of our careers to the next generation coming up. And I think right now in this field in particular, it's an exciting time to evolve these people into the next level. Well, that's definitely a great summary of exactly where the uh, industry is going to move. And I can see kind of similarities with everything. And I like your example with using like Siri or Alexa makes a lot of sense. I mean, I used to talk to Siri and ask her questions. And now I don't even remember when the last time I used Siri was. I mean... I, I use my friend's trash can by saying open can. <laughs> and I try yeah. to talk to my friend's uh, music player to try to make it change music, but I don't want to listen to what they're listening to anymore. <laughs> but like, um, <laughs> but I could definitely see how if this were to like, where it's kind of plateaued because the technology's there, it just kind of has to go backwards a bit and really in integrate everything in where people are able to use the system more and educating people on how to use those um, existing platforms for more than what they're already working with. Uh, I really do appreciate you coming on to the show today, Sir Downing, and sharing all your expertise with all of us today with your 30 years of vast experience in the educational field. I mean, it's pretty insightful to one, know how the industry's evolved, two, really understand how the communication really ties in to such a great role in regards to communicating with others, getting out of your inside box where you're speaking in the language of only your specific um, peers, communicating at a more effective level, and really going into the changes of where technology is going and talking about security and whatnot. And all these insights, I'm sure, are going to be helpful for a lot of people. Uh, if you ever want to um, communicate with, um, share, where can people like reach you? Do you have like, an email or anything where people can reach out to you? I do. Um, my email is share.downing at downingedtechconsulting.com. Perfect. And you can always find me at Twitter at Mr. Leonard Kim. And once again, thank you so much for tuning in to Grow Your Influence today, uh, Influence Street today, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out. 
stand apart and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.